This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to Who's Up Podcast. I'm Freya and I'm here with Joseph. Good evening. Lorna. Hello. And Ollie. Hello. And this is technically our um, International Women's Day podcast, despite the fact that we're recording it after the 8th of March. The session was on the 8th of March. It was, it was, yeah. So it makes sense. Um, But yeah, so we decided to do episodes with fairly powerful women, one of which was actually an 8th of March special box set for Big Finish. So that's cool. But we're starting off with not that one, the Empress of Mars. We're starting (laughs) off with a spoiler warning. Yeah, that's true. Spoiler (laughs) warning. We will talk about Spoiler warning for anything and everything. Yes. Loads of stuff. Spoiler warning for life. <laughs> Anything may be discussed. Beware. Um, but yeah, Empress of Mars, and I'm anything I say to summarise this will be ridiculed by Joseph. So I'm yes. not doing it. It's your oh, turn because okay. it's, it's your favourite. Yeah. It is. It's my favourite episode of the entire show. I'm interested to find out why on this podcast. I think everybody will explain is, it later. Nobody <laughs> yeah. understands why. So summary. The Doctor, Nardole and Bill have gone to NASA, who are doing a scan of Mars, and discover God saved the Queen, written in large letters on the surface of Mars. So they go and investigate and find the British Army in the Victorian era, who are starting a fight with the Ice Warriors. And that that covers most of the episode. And yet somehow doesn't. Well, we shall cover the rest. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a summary of the episode. Yeah. People point. who don't remember the episode will probably under, understand which one we're talking about now. Yes. At the very least. And if you haven't watched it, then what are you doing? Why weren't you at Hoosock yesterday? Exactly. Valid <laughs> reasons. Valid reasons. I forgot you literally weren't. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Well, at least you know it. But also, yeah. I'm going to start off talking about Twelve and Belle because I love Aww. them. They're such a good pairing and they make me very, very happy. They, they make my heart all warm and fuzzy. And yeah, <laughs> that's the technical term. Okay. It Definitely. is. I think it's like, I mean, maybe it's just the only two I think I can think of. I, I love that kind of professor dynamic. Both times they do it, it's amazing. Yes. It's, it's just great to see like the daughter being a mentor figure rather than just a best friend. Yeah. Or, God forbid, a lover. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like this is one of the very, very few times in the modern era when there's been absolutely no romantic tension at all. Yeah, that's true. Um, is it just Bill and Donna then? I mean, I suppose well, more recently for, like... Ryan and Graham and Dan, I suppose. The Chibnall era had less romantic tension, but at that time it was pretty much just Bill and Donna. The Chibnall era had none, and that's now become a problem. <laughs> and when I'm saying it's a problem, there's no romantic tension, you know you've got something very, very badly <laughs> wrong. Anyway, let's talk about 12 instead of talking about Chibnall. Yes, oh, yeah, we finally we, we fulfilled the prophecy. Chibnall bashing, it's happened. Yeah. That's 12 yeah, is oh wonderful. I, I love how, like, this kind of the teacher-student dynamic allows the doctor to do like be I feel like it allows the doctor to be a wider range of people than some of the other dynamics maybe do because I mean like your teacher can be very supportive and very much like keep you going but as a teacher 12 can also just be like why don't you know that why don't you like like I know you know better than this what are you doing yeah definitely I keep nodding and realizing that like in the podcast no one's going to be able to see that it's fine no, honestly i do it as well <laughs> like i'll do really stupid actions and realize yeah the listeners don't see that this is a very visual experience and you don't get it if you're just listening to it which is tragic anyway the point is you i don't completely, know what I'm doing I completely now, agree with what you just said yeah i mean like nobody has any idea what i'm actually doing <laughs> actually i'm going to keep this and do it again later and the listener won't have an any idea what I just did, but it's good. Very good. 
indeed. But yes, but this is a brilliant episode for 12 because it does something very different with the Doctor because normally the Doctor is saving the world, defending it from alien invasions. This time, the people invading are the humans. Oh, that's, that's definitely interesting. Ridiculously technology, technologically weaker than the Ice Warriors and are just getting slaughtered. Mm. And he's trying to defend them, but without supporting them because they are invading. Yeah, it's a very difficult dynamic for him. And you can almost see him through the episode going, am I really doing this? <laughs> like, I don't want them to like die, but am I really here doing this? Yeah, it's very much flipping a common trope in its head. And not even just a common trope in Doctor Who, but just in general, even in real life, usually the invader is likely to be more technologically advanced. And it's just not the case. Mm. Which is funny, actually, because I was actually, I saw a thing talking about colonizer narratives in sci-fi. And I hadn't thought about it before, but there is that kind of, oh, yes, like, when we have the kind of the technology to move outwards from our own planet, we'll just, you know, move, like, we'll spread out among the stars. No one ever, th- no one ever thinks maybe we shouldn't do that. <laughs> maybe oh, there yeah. might be other people who might, you know, object to us just mm. wandering around the universe saying, yeah, this is our universe. It's true, and it is, mm. it is just an assumption. And it's one of mm. the things that the episode addresses quite well, because mm. it doesn't focus on the problems of colonisation, because that's not the point of the episode. Mm. But it does reference them, it is clearly aware of them, and it does, it does make it clear that it's a problem. Mm. I think that's yeah. very much seen in the fact that it's Victorian soldiers that are used because that very much invokes that sense of empire and colonisation that is becomes very visible as soon as you see even one of them. Because actually, if you think about it, the choice of having Victorian soldiers on Mars is kind of a stupid notion. You'd think, how the hell? Like, that's so unrealistic. Why would you do that? But the fact that it's, like, it is done. It's done for a purpose. You can tell that that's why they're there because of the like the idea of colonization, the fact that they they had that um, drive to go out and basically take over places that didn't belong to them, and that's exactly what they're doing, but in space. And that is exactly what they would have done had they had the access to space in that period. So it yeah. it makes a lot of sense and makes it very clear. Like you just see a Victorian soldier's uniform and like the colonization is very apparent i think that's one of my favorite well well, one of the many things i like about doctor who is that you can sort of take things that don't necessarily make much sense like victorians and mars (coughs) and find a way to make it make sense and sort of say something using that yeah i mean if you're having to weave around like 50 odd years of canon anyway you can explain away something as silly as that quite easily. <laughs> and yeah, that's why I like the show, because it's just so silly in like the best possible way. Yeah, but it means you can do silly things as a metaphor. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. I love a good metaphor. That's just me. That's just me. I mean... Oh, like, me too. <laughs> I'm an English so literature. I have to like metaphors. Like, it's my job. So many of the Doctor Who stories, I'm just like, but don't you realise it's a metaphor? <laughs> it's always a metaphor. Except in the uh, the Chibnall era, where it's always very literal. <laughs> yes. There's some sort of message. Yes, they are not metaphors. They are just. It's it's open. a frying pan with something written on it, and it's coming directly at your head. Yes, I think you'll find it's a wok, though. <laughs> oh yeah, why did I think of that? That's silly. Oh, yeah, should have oh. been a bit quicker on the mark with that one. But so we've discussed the humans invading. They are, of course, invading Mars, which is home to the Ice Warriors. Oh, yeah. In only their second appearance of New Who, I believe. <clears throat> yes, that's correct. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. We have not seen enough of the Ice Warriors, I don't think. I've not I seen like any them. of their classic episodes. And I sort of, I like the Ice Warriors, but I've only seen one good episode with them. And it's sort of a shame. Mm, they're just stompy, stompy boys with their girl boss. <laughs> 
I do love that. You are so much more than that, Freya. <laughs> yeah, How dare sure. you? They remind me a lot of oh, the good. Silurians. Oh, good, I've Right, go sense... on then. Sorry, they remind me a lot of the Silurians in the sense that they... Uh they seem immediately like monsters and they're often fighting the humans but ultimately they're just they're not intrinsically evil in any way and a lot of moral questions are raised using that i just want humans to get the hell away from them (laughs) (laughs) which is understandable yes (laughs) Yes. i mean to be fair i would do exactly the same like if i was a silurian i'd be like what are these stupid little pink things doing like you're pathetic i've been here longer go away yeah. And same with the ice warriors. It's like, we've been on this, this is our planet. What do you think you're doing? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, if if we hibernated for millions of years and found out some sort of other creature, like big giant spiders or something, were now the sentient beings in charge of the world, we wouldn't be happy about that. No, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> but we would get but we would get crushed because none of us like spiders. <laughs> spiders was spiders. a random animal example. Pretend it's something else. <laughs> Actually, I found a massive spider in my kitchen the other day. It was huge, like honestly terrifyingly huge. But I just let it stay there. I hope that one of my housemates found it because that would be really funny. I'm just mean. You are <laughs> you're you're a horrible human being. <laughs> no good. I like that. Take it as a compliment. But no, this episode does really do justice to the Ice Warriors because they do attack the humans, but they attack the humans who are attacking them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, and the humans are are kind of consistently shown as being absolutely, absolutely the aggressors here. They mm. know, like, multiple people try and tell them why it's a bad idea. It's very obviously a bad idea, and yet people still do it. Mm. But it doesn't feel contrived or anything. It it it, no. it does seem like that's how the Victorians would have behaved, or just how humans no, in general seems, would behave. Yeah, it seems exactly like the sort of stupid thing a human would do. But you're but you're also kind of as an audience looking at them and going, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the, best, in the best possible narrative way, obviously. Yeah. But not all the humans. That's not another all. thing I love about this episode is you've got. I mean, you've got all of the the Victorian army, but you've got two main people. You've got Catch Love, and you've got. I've no idea what the other guy's name is. I couldn't remember either of their names. I'm not sure which one you mean by Catch Love. <laughs> uh, Catch Love is the the actual idiot, the captain who takes charge halfway through. Oh, I hate him. <laughs> oh, it gives me the rage. The other guy's name is, so I'm going to look it up. I'm surprised you don't know. So am I. <clears throat> Gosh. Because for me, that's normal. Because, like, you tell me to name the main bloke from Tooth and Claw from the top of my head, which is my favourite episode, and I cannot do it. But yeah, you, that's that's gosh, bad form. Let me find it. What's his name? But actually, oh, do you want that particular captain that just is extremely entitled? He does give me the rage, but actually this is why I quite like the feminist undertones with the Ice Warrior Queen, just because yeah. she sort of treats him like a lot of powerful women would treat a man trying to talk to them like that and Mm. it makes me happy to see that like especially because like it's an alien doing the same thing and it's like oh yeah men really are this tiring even on other planets good i see (laughs) i know he's i know he's victorian so it's completely wrong but he gives me very big wickham vibes for some reason yes oh my god yes you know what i mean you're so right (laughs) <laughs> the two Jane Austen stands losing it currently. Yeah, it just feels very kind of yeah, like that. It's so frustrating. <laughs> anyway, have you found him? Yes, his name is Godsaker, and I'm not sure that's ever said in the episode, or if it is. No, I don't recognise it because I hmm. even reading it now, I don't recognise the name. Hmm. Yeah, he's often just he's just called like. Whatever his the rank colonel. is, like the colonel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they call. Yeah, they just call him command. They just call him commander. Apparently. Mm. Yes, which is you know, understandable. But I really like him as a character because, of course, mm. the part of the story is that he's a coward. He was hung for cowardice, and it didn't work. So presumably, and... he was therefore let go. 
I think it's not it's entirely clear what happened, but I don't think it really matters. But it could have been the escape because no. it depends when this was happening, like yeah. and where. It could have been that, like he managed to escape it. The but fact yeah, it's is not they really tried explained. to hang him. Yeah, they yeah. tried to hang him and they failed. Yeah, but then he runs away again halfway through the episode. Mm. But then right at the end, he comes back, and I really like that because. In Doctor Who, they so often stereotype people and put it as different things, but this makes it very clear. His cowardice is not... It's not a fault. It doesn't define him, and it is something he can change and overcome. And so, yes, he failed in the past. He deserted. He was a cowardice. He was hung for it. That doesn't mean he can't change. And I think when he changes and he chooses to come back to protect his soldiers and his planet, I think it's it's quite unusual to have a character change so completely and for it to feel like it makes sense. Often if a character changes completely, mm-hmm. it feels like a 180 out of nowhere. Yeah, that's true. Great. And it feels like it respects the character. And even when he's mm. being a coward, the episode doesn't really fault him for that in the same way. Yeah, mm. because I feel like it is a slightly different situation when he changes because he's not running away from, I don't know, gunfire or, or a huge battle. He's, he's like, when he's brave again, he's sort of facing the Empress herself and it's doing a brave action, not just fighting in a battle which maybe isn't a battle that should be fought exactly yeah yeah i think it is one of the things that i think the kind of features of doctor who that i do really like is there is space for cowards in it Mm. it's not the kind of story where every coward is immediately unheroic and kind of ends up on like the losing side there's there's a certain kind of sympathy for cowards in a lot of Doctor Who and obviously certain bit, certain bits of it more than others I feel like that, that's that's partly shown that's that's partly shown I think in the fact that such a common trope in Doctor Who is the sort of run thing about like it's, it's sort of sometimes the sensible thing to do is to run away mm. you know that then that's the thing that's sometimes it's the braver part. thing to do rather than attacking to yeah. either stay or run rather than actively fighting. And I think that uh, one thing that Doctor Who does quite well is that it can sometimes portray cowardice as like being almost noble, um, I guess, or like not necessarily a flaw. Like in I mean, some cases it can be. Parting of the ways. Yeah. Very yeah. definitely goes, y- you should always be a coward. Hmm which it does, it is something which I, I don't think I've ever seen in any other show. Mm. No, I think a lot of media really emphasises like fighting for what you believe in, fighting and never giving up. But sometimes part of that fighting is having to run away sometimes. Like yeah. it, it's part of it. It's, it's a bit of the experience. If you don't want to be that awful person that is relentlessly fighting and killing and attacking, then sometimes you have to be that person that runs. And mm. that's what I like about Doctor Who, the fact that like what other media might perceive as a flaw and something to judge a person for isn't necessarily that. And that it doesn't make you an entirely bad person. It doesn't write you off, even if you even if it's a mistake to run in a certain situation, even if it means you are a coward and you aren't brave, it still doesn't completely define you as a person and you have a chance to grow from that um i think Dorothy does give a lot of characters even side characters a lot of room to just grow and learn as events progress and yeah that's one of the reasons i like it so much yeah it's, it's why beautiful. i think it's why i think the scene in the 11th hour is so big and so many people <laughs> underestimate it for the change in the doctor's character where Eleven is facing down the Atraxi at the end and he goes basically run and he changes his entire philosophy in that one line from 
I'm running to you had better run from me. And it's it's massively mm. underestimated as a scene for how big it is in the change of the Doctor's character. Mm. Yeah, because he very much has those dark undertones, which if you think about it and you look back on it from like a retrospective standpoint, you can see that there because he's doing it with a smile on his face. He's very proud of himself in that moment. And he's seen as the sort of fairly goofy, raggedy man doctor at that point. But then when you see that projection of all of the doctor's faces and he steps through and introduces himself, once you look back on that, it might not have been apparent in the moment, but once you look back on it, you do realize, oh, some of that darkness was there already. Um, yeah. Yeah. certainly had that capability from the very start and I love how we're talking 11 actually it's a 12 yeah. episode yeah. but still yeah it's a good point yeah. it's so it's, it's it's funny to me because you say that now and I completely agree with you and I completely see that and I've seen that before but when I first watched that episode I I think that completely went over my head partly because that was the first Doctor Who episode I'd seen so I didn't sort of realize that it was a change but also yeah. I think I was 10 at the time, so I, I didn't, I wasn't very good at <laughs> identifying character development. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, returning to Empress of Mars, <laughs> the reason we actually put this episode on International Women's Day, Iraxa. The girl boss, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The Empress of Mars herself. She has no time for noisy men, and neither do I, so I very much love her. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love how her like reveal changes the whole dynamic of the episode. Like, like before that, it's all kind of going like, right, but then she shows up, and immediately it's all about her. Mm. Yeah, it's not. It's not just like, ugh, we have to deal. We have to deal with this more. Like, <laughs> we do not, like, It's not just ugh. We have to deal with this Empress of Mars now. It's like oh. Here's, here's the big new player on the scene. Yeah. I think it's natural to, like, it's, that's sort of the point. You sort of hear about a female figure and tend to underestimate her. And then she actually turns up and you go, oh, no, wait, never mind. She's really quite frightening. <laughs> and I love her for that. The fact that she immediately really doesn't care about anyone else. And she's very commanding, very capable of being a leader. And it, that's put in direct contrast with the group of men who, with their Victorian attitudes, would all say that they can lead better than women. And they're confronted with this woman who can do it far better than them in a stroke, even after sleeping for 5,000 years on the truck. Like she immediately wakes up, like you, you wouldn't get that sort of leadership out of me at nine in the morning. Like, never. <laughs> and yet she could see for 5,000 years, wake up and immediately go back to controlling pretty much an entire species without even blinking. And these men are still trying to say that she's inferior. And oh, honestly, it makes you root for the Ice Warriors a little bit. <laughs> it, it definitely yeah. does. I, th I think there's... this. Sorry. That's right. just... And there's that lovely little bit where she decides to talk to Bill instead of anyone yes. else in the room. <laughs> And, and you just kind of go, yeah. Because she's been talked <laughs> over for a good chunk of that episode already. Because she's surrounded by these soldiers. And even 12 is like trying to interact with them to figure out what's going on, not necessarily interacting with her all of the time. And she has been quite overlooked in the episode until that point. I feel like that was quite a deliberate choice because then when Araxa addresses her, you sort of go, oh yeah, she is there. Because she was standing right in the back. She was covered by people. You didn't really sort of take much notice she was a background character essentially in that particular scene and then she's brought forward purposefully and put in that position where she has a voice by another powerful woman and actually I really really like that good scene and it yeah. also shows the, not only the strength but the wisdom of Iraxa because yes. she asks the only person in the room without something to prove mm. Because yeah, every yeah, person in that room has something to prove and has a particular agenda, except Bill. And so that is the person she goes to to find have, out what's going on. I have to say, this, I think there's something quite interesting about even the character we're supposed to like, the colonel, who, you know, who we're more on his side than the other British soldiers. But even he is shown as having these preconceived views about women when they're when Bill describes herself and the doctor as kind of like police, mm. 
and he says it's such a fanciful notion a woman in the police force and I think yeah, she laughs at it <laughs> yeah but it, it it's saying it, it's showing how you know it's not just like I don't know it's not just these evil one-dimensional characters it's, it's like that that's a thing that's sort of everywhere obviously particularly in that time but it's a thing that's everywhere is the sort of the looking down on women basically yeah it shows that it's a symptom of the society that they're part of rather than them as individuals but they're all exactly. sort of affected by it and actually something else i thought about about the scene where iraqsa chooses to talk to bill it's uh, it's interesting that she goes to the person that doesn't really have much of a voice in that particular scenario because she realizes that all of the others have spent so much time chatting that they haven't taken anything in so she goes to the one person that's been standing and listening the entire time the one person that's taken everything in without inputting herself and she knows that bill will have the most impartial view because she's not forcibly inserting her opinion into the conversation like the others are she's standing at the back she's quiet she's listening and erexa recognizes that she's the one that will essentially know the most even though everyone else has overlooked her yeah i can be a good boss and you know i also have to mention what is possibly my favorite favorite 12 line of the show which is when he's talking to her and he goes fight not for a dead past but for a future and i think that sums up 12 and in fact the doctor's philosophy in a single sentence better than anything else in the show. Of course, it's all about got to keep running, can't look back, can't see what's behind me. I've got to keep moving forward. And the times where the Doctor is at their darkest is when they do look back. Because Mm. when, like, especially with Nine, say, and when they're looking back is also when they make the most mistakes. And I think they know that. So, yeah, that philosophy of, like, don't fight for a, a dead past, but fight for a future is very much that. Because even when the doctor's fighting for the past, so companions they've known, friends they've had that they've lost, that's technically fighting for the past, but they use that to fight for the future that their friends would want to see. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So I think I think you're right. I think it does start the doctor's philosophy very well. All right, we better rattle through the end of this because I know you have a lot to say about emancipation. <laughs> but when they finally when the colonel sacrifices himself and isn't executed again and the ice warriors finally make peace the doctor sends out a message to the galaxy for the ice warriors to integrate themselves in the universe and it is responded to by none other than alpha centauri who, of course, appeared in the Peladon stories. I love this. The third Doctor. I love them. Also, and recently confirmed as non-binary in Big Finish, which I love. So, uh, <laughs> with a Satori non-binary boss. Were they not non-binary in the Peladon stories? I don't know. I believe I don't were. remember it. <laughs> oh, really? It's a while since I've watched them, but I, I remember them specifically not having a gender. Ah. Sweet. Nice. Non-binary big green blob thing, my beloved. <laughs> yes. One thing I wanted to ask you all, just out of curiosity, because it seems like we're going to move on to emancipation in a second. In the scene where the Doctor is about to use the Gargantua or whatever it was called to bury them all under ice, kill them all, do we think the Doctor actually would have done that? Hmm. Silence! Oh God! Because, <laughs> really, yeah, I, I, th- I think not because he wouldn't really have been saving anyone there because it's not like they were sick then saying, "Oh, we're going to go and invade Earth." He would have just been killing everyone. But I think it's an interesting thought. I wouldn't put it past twelve. <laughs> I don't. The man who I absolutely one hundred percent would have done. <laughs> like I love twelve, but <laughs> I don't think he would have done. Hmm. I'm not sure either. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, think, I don't think it I was anything. Go straight to it. I think if like his kind of current solution didn't work out, I think he'd go through a couple of other solutions before he buried people alive. 
yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think he ever would have done it or even was intending to because it doesn't make any sense. Because even if all the bad things happen and go to their full conclusion, presumably still the Ice Warriors will survive. And that's still better than killing everyone. Yeah. It, there's, there's no material advantage to actually doing that. It's, it's not like the, the time war where you destroy Gallifrey and save lives outside Gallifrey. Mm. Well, I, don't, I don't think it's anything he ever actually had to consider because, I mean, he, he references it at the end. His problem has always been thinking like a warrior. Oh, yeah, that's really and interesting. So he knows yeah. as soon as he makes the threat that there's no way he's going to have to go through with it because there is no way that the Ice Warriors are going to carry on. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realise that the discussion would go that way, but that was cool. Um, also, before we move on, I do want to say, Missy, just because, <laughs> just just put that quick comment in there because it's like part. There's that scene at the end which becomes yeah. part of the arc in which she's trying to redeem herself, and I love it. And also, she was wearing leather gloves, which just. <laughs> Anyway, I loved moving... in the actual session. I we I was just we were just watching oh, we were watching gosh. the episode. We just hear you going, oh, "She's wearing leather gloves." <laughs> I actually got applause for that. <laughs> like the amount of people that just sort of cheered and then applauded me for saying it. Um, yeah, her leather gloves sort of. Oh, we go anyway. From one woman I'm gay for to two others. <laughs> Finally get to talk about emancipation on the podcast. I'm so excited. Um, so it's a wonderful Big Finish audio from the 8th of March box set, which was released for International Women's Day two years ago. There's a new one now. I've been listening to it. It's good. I'm enjoying it so far. I've got the last one still to do. But basically it follows um, Riversong trying to foil a kidnapping at this See, I, I'm doing a rubbish job of explaining it, but <laughs> at, a, at a party. Um, and because she's gone as a Gallifreyan delegate and used Romana's name, Leela turns up uh, with orders from the real Romana to find out who the hell this woman is. Um, and shenanigans ensue. And it's one of my favourite stories just ever. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be enthusiastic in this section, I feel. <laughs> But may I say, just first thing, that the river Leela pairing is genius. It is good fun. It is very good fun. It was a good choice. Can yeah. I just say, this is my um, my first ever Big Finish audio drama I've ever listened to. So this, it was, it was definitely a good choice for me. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. It's uh, not as good as the other audio drama I've listened to, Out of the Shadows. <laughs> that's the right thing to say thanks <laughs> I definitely don't have an ulterior yeah. motive to saying that it's not like I'm um, auditioning for a party no, no. or anything <laughs> you had us in the first part there not going to lie <laughs> yeah I was going to say what? not as good as hang on I'm about to be the Emancipation Defence Squad <laughs> but no it's not necessary no um, but yeah yeah, I, I'm just going to go back to River and Leela because uh, they're just fantastic. And uh, um, we had the good fortune to interview writer Lisa McMullen uh, yesterday. And we were talking about this particular pairing and how they're two like, fairly violent women like coming together in a way like women aren't usually, or they're not portrayed that way in media very often. So to have two women with that particular attitude coming together in one story is quite like a powerful pairing. Mm. Um, and of course, flirting ensues <laughs> because obviously oh, it flirting. must. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're two women that also like really don't care who they sort of fancy. <laughs> I feel mm. like they just don't think about it either way. They just sort of go for who they go for. Um, yeah, so I, the fact that they turn up to each other and then just immediately start flirting is kind of great. Well, Nina's a bit more reluctant, but River's sort of flirting at her, which makes me very happy anyway. 
I have a sort of headcanon, and this doesn't apply to Lila because she's not a Time Lord, but I have a sort of headcanon that all Time Lords sort of must be bisexual because if you had a Time Lord couple and one of them regenerates and changes their gender, how is that going to work? So hence, all Time Lords must be bisexual. I have, because it's sort of, I feel like over hundreds of years, it would be a thing that just sort of evolves it might not be like exclusive there might be variations on this because there always are nothing's ever completely true for a whole set of people oh definitely yeah but I feel like for the most part they would be like that just simply because of their situation I feel exactly yeah because it's very clear they don't see gender I mean 12 is very clear about that it's like you have a petty human obsession with it like Mm. why should it matter and yeah yeah I think the Doctor really doesn't care whatsoever and other Time Lords Mm. are seen to sort of feel exactly the same way they don't really have a problem with it um yeah so the fact that they just really don't care about gender whatsoever lends itself to that particular attitude of well just fancy who I fancy but then I feel also at the same time they're a fairly repressed society and don't really go with anyone very often Alternatively, all time of the race, hence the existence of looms. No oh. looms. Wait, <laughs> no, what? Don't do that. No bloody. I don't explain them. We're not interrupting. The, Sorry, I just want to talk about talking to talk about looms. Yeah. I don't. You knew it would set me off. You knew it. Yes, would. that's why I, I said actually it. Actually, hate nonsense, them. Please, can I, you stop? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to actually lose my mind. You should be glad that you don't know what I'm talking about because I'm actually going to go insane. It must end up in a very interesting cultural dynamic, the whole regeneration thing. I'm, I just sort of, because I sort of thought of that because I imagined, I think this was how I thought of it. Imagine if River Song was heterosexual and then met Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Is she just not going to be in love with her anymore? I don't know. It doesn't no, make sense. No, their love could outburn a million suns. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, it, it just makes more sense that they yeah. wouldn't care about the gender of who they love. Yes. Yeah. Or definitely. are attracted to. So yeah. Care more about their house. Gay flirting with you. <laughs> we should talk about the uh, other people in the story because honestly, <laughs> I could spend the whole time talking about River and Leela and all the times that they flirt with each other. Um, but yeah, there's also the Royal Magnificat and Princess Morala. Two very interesting characters. I really like the fact that um in this particular box set for International Women's Day, we also have a female villain, a really nasty one too. I think she's awful. Great villain though. Yes, definitely. That's the point. Is that I think she's awful slash poles. <laughs> yeah. Do we have I, I, any male characters in this episode? Um, the oh, there's right the, the, beginning briefly the bartender, is... the, the, the waiter, well, the, no, the chef. Oh yeah, the okay. There's one yeah. or two. A couple of soldiers no, on the Raw No important world. ones. And the galactic heritage guy, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the kind of, not the voiceover, you know, the announcements. All right. So there are a oh, few, yeah. but none of any consequence, really. <laughs> say, just the very it's minor okay. characters. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is why I like, because it's really weird to have an audio that where you have to look for any men whatsoever and have <laughs> to go, huh? Because usually that's me thinking about, uh, particular bits of media with women like I, I have to squint and go hang on were there any women in this bit you know and mm. yeah, yeah. It, it's nice to have that the other way around for once I mean obviously mm. I wouldn't want it all the time but to have it for that particular like occasion was oh yeah nice. absolutely yeah and you know I like that I've been talking about having a female villain I also like that they have a female villain who's just kind of unapologetic yeah, she's, she's not like she's not like a, a a kind of female sidekick to a nasty male villain. She's not like a, a female villain who's just doing it because, like, that's the best way to get it. Like, that's the only thing she can do. She's a female villain who's like, this is my thing. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm evil. Get over it. I just I hate her. I just I can't. St- I sort of said exactly the same thing with basically the villain of the previous episode we talked about as well. But she's just. And it, I, th- that's that's a credit to the writers. If I can really, really dislike someone, if I can feel particularly strongly about a character in an episode, then the writers have done a good job. Mm. Mm. Definitely. I also like that a lot of the things to do with her evil and power come from 
particularly for this like International Women's Day set come from a lot of the things that um, women have to deal with, the things that usually oppress them. Like she is evil by stealing Morala's voice, essentially, mm-hmm. um, forcing her to be subservient, forcing her to be, you know, polite and sort of seen and not heard, good little kid just sitting there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's sort of very much what a lot of girls are told when they're growing up. And the fact that she's using those, what we would probably see as patriarchal values in order to repress her, I feel is quite interesting for this particular set. Um, yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah it just shows that like sometimes like women aren't exempt from perpetuating those values either, yeah. which I feel yeah. like is an interesting concept to delve into the fact that like they can be just as culpable as men sometimes and that again it's like a symptom of society not the individual and some individuals can use it for their own benefit Mm. whether they would usually be impressed by that system or not i I think if the episode just portrayed oh all women good and all men bad that wouldn't be a very good international (laughs) woman's day episode because yeah Yeah. it, it it just wouldn't be like if if because if if you never show any flawed female characters that's still not something like a girl can relate to you know yeah. which is sort of important you need to it's, see this is exactly characters you can relate to yeah women yeah. need to be complex as well because usually it's either like oh powerful girl boss or like your little thing <laughs> you know and it's sort mm. of one or the other you've got to be like a, a binary somehow but actually women are a fabulous spectrum of all sorts of people with all sorts of issues. They could be just as evil as men, <laughs> as like they're often portrayed in media, and they can have those qualities. They could be unapologetic. They could be horrible. They can be sweet. They could be cute. They could be completely ruthless. It's there's like a whole range of things they can be, but usually they're fit into very certain, very specific tropes. And it's nice to have complex characters that don't fit those boxes and also happen to be women at the same time. Um, Yeah. yeah. Because either the writers are in some way sexist, so just fitting them stereotypes, or are trying to seem not sexist, so just make them really powerful. Make them the exact opposite. But yeah, when they do that, they create another trope or a Mm. box to put them in. Um, And it sort of has the opposite effect. And I think a lot of people buy into it. I mean, I know I do a lot of times. (laughs) I just think, oh, well, it's anti all of the things that I hate. So good, I I enjoy this. But it is sort of a stereotype in its own right. So having some female characters that I just despise in audios is is good. Um, I do think it's interesting that you also get, I mean, you're talking about patriarchal values you also get a twisting of that kind of traditional maternal thing as well. Because mm. not not only is she sacrificing her own child, she's not. She, like, she, she's, she's not had any, and she's deliberately gone out and stolen someone else's kid to sacrifice as her own child. And purposefully treated her awfully. Exactly. Yeah. She's kind of like a better version of the evil stepmother. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. The evil stepmother did it deliberately to acquire a child. <clears throat> Oof. Which would be an interesting trope. Like, actually, it would be, would be an interesting trope reversal. Mm. Also, I should probably talk about Princess Marala a bit more because she's very cool. And it's, um, yeah, obviously, spoiler warning, but. She's actually Princess two Marala. Princess Moralas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Judah and Hema, the, the twins. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. I did like that twist. I can't remember whether I figured that out before. I think I might have had an inkling. And then when it happened, I was like, ah, oh, that makes complete sense now. I had um, no idea. <laughs> it's because I, I remembered the thing about the... Um, of course I did. I remember the thing about the... Um, the, th- the memory thing only working once so I definitely knew just before it was revealed because I was like wait why is it working on her oh wait there's two of them they must be twins well that reminded um, that reminds me when when they did the the mind the mind reading device on her the first time and it said save us yeah oh, that I, I remember that that, that, yes. that did make me think 
I didn't think, oh, maybe there's like twins, but I thought there's definitely something more than just, like, they definitely did that on purpose. See, I'd gone down the route of some kind of alien parasite or hive mind or something. Yeah, that's of what I was thinking. Of course you did. That's yeah. what I'd expected. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, that is what I was thinking. When you're going down the Sherlock route of it's never twins, Watson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's never twins until it is twins. Well, <laughs> which is why it works I, I I did enjoy that twist I, yeah I do think I got it like just before but yeah I I what I was trying to think of was the moment that I thought it was a bit strange that she said save us I, I did pick up on that early on and I was like huh I wonder what that's about um but it turned out to be kind of cool I, I also found the fact that she had her voice restricted specifically quite a cool concept to um, delve into just because again for International Women's Day set the idea that she's a young girl that's had her voice restricted in that way by a fairly strict society and the head of that particular society it's um, I don't quite know where I was going with that just it's a metaphor like we were talking about earlier yes God, my brain is fried. I've been doing too much of my dissertation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that leads into when there's a scene I really love where River and Leela are helping. Um, I can't remember whether it's Jude or Hema to escape, but one of them anyway. And they haven't taken the band, the psychic band off her yet. So she still can't speak her mind. And yet River and Leela find ways to communicate with her. And they work out what she's saying and what it actually means. They look for the meaning beneath and realize how she's trying to communicate. And I really love the fact that like this girl that's essentially had her voice stolen encounters two powerful women that have both experienced that in their lives. And then they instinctively know how to communicate with her despite that restriction. They find ways around it. They find a loophole in order to find out what she really thinks and oh, just make gives me the warm and fuzzies <laughs> I hadn't exactly thought of that but that's such a brilliant way of interpreting it because I was just too focused on I love that that seems like a really Doctor Who-y thing the sort of you can't tell the truth and finding a way around that but yeah you're right that is actually a brilliant like sort of metaphor and thing to show mm. quite apart from just the I, th- I think it's uh, this is Doctor Who at its best when it's sort of got both. It's got the sort of fun Doctor Who yeah, things, fun but also tropes, the really yeah. interesting messages. It goes yeah. it goes further than that because um, yeah, it's it's about like how do you communicate when you can't use your own voice when you have to speak in some kind of code? And I know that like there are lots of people throughout history that have had to you know keep their voices quiet, use code, not sort of say what they mean but mm. yeah if you find other people that know how that feels you can communicate because you know what it feels like to have to use like veiled remarks to get your point across um and the yeah. fact that yeah river and lena just instinctively know how to do that with her it's um a scene i very much like and i think there's also i mean thinking about it now there's also something very nice about the fact the very fact that they are trying like are trying to look past the words and hear what her mind is like actually with like the the kind of reading her mind bit it's that sort of thing of yes it is it's it's a thing that you ought to do sometimes if someone doesn't sound like if that doesn't sound right if they they don't they don't sound like they're saying what they mean it, it like it is important for you to look like kind of look beyond those words and try and understand where they're coming from and understand if maybe they're not saying what they what they really want to be saying because they're afraid or because they can't I think that has a really interesting message about sort of mental health in general because I think a lot of the time when you ask someone are you okay for example they will just say yes or I guess so even if they're not and I think to try and look beyond what's just immediately said is a really really important thing yeah no, I do like I also like that it's River and Leela in particular doing this because Leela is someone that very much speaks her mind she won't have herself be restricted she simply refuses and 
River is also like that, but they both have had instances where they haven't been able to. So River lies mm. a lot. I mean, Leela notices that. She says, you live in lies, Dr. Sun. Like, she can tell that River often uses veiled comments to like mask what she's truly thinking. Um, mm. And although Leela knows to like speak her mind and be very blunt and just say what she's thinking, you see a lot, especially when she's on Gallifrey in particular, she can't do that all of the time because the Time Lords sort of push back against it. So they both know how it feels to like have to mm. speak that way. And the fact that it's them like drawing the truth out of Morala and uh, looking further than her words just shows that that's something that they would have wanted in that particular situation like when they've dealt with things. So it's it's sort of reflects on them as characters too. Oh, well, yes, I think it does because I like them a lot. <laughs> no, it does. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think we'd better start to wrap it up and head on to questions because we've oh. been going through that, I'm afraid. That's <laughs> uh, true. Anyway, <laughs> we'll wrap it up. I just say that like River and Leela is a genius pairing and they're very, very gay and I love it. And... Uh, just for the listeners' benefit, I'm currently waving a mini lesbian flag <laughs> on the Zoom. It's fun. I'm having fun. Um, actually, I'm just going to keep doing this because it's nice. Uh, so questions. Back to Empress of Mars. Which would you have preferred? Empress of Mars or the Unseen sequel to Sleep No More? <laughs> oh, I, I never want to see anything more of Sleep No More. I think I've I've... I think Cut one episode of Sleep No More was enough. <laughs> now, you see, if we'd had a sequel to Sleep No More, I think it would drastically have improved the episode. Because the if... huge problem with it is it's unresolved. I think if, um, if, if something needs a sequel to be good, then even with the sequel, it's not good. Oh, I agree. That's very true, but... actually. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it would make it better if the story did actually have a conclusion somewhere. I mean, thing is, I think it was an interesting episode, and I think the lack of conclusion could have been really interesting if it was done right. It just wasn't. Mm. But then it must have been def- it must have been difficult, definitely, trying trying to kind of make that jump, make that jump from the two to the one. I with do that, I... with that with that kind of, like kind of shifting that kind of story to a one episode story must have been quite difficult anyway well, yeah. well i think what one thing that i very much like is um in terms of uh, later references to sleep no more are uh spoiler for out of the shadows episode <laughs> episode two yes. I was the, just uh, say, if we'd had the, a sequel to sleep no more would we have got r and r exactly that I, I i love that that was I sort know what of I do without Daisy. <laughs> yeah I, I I really like like it could you could have just sort of come up with like random sleeping pods or whatever, but it yeah. was uh, yeah cut, cut, using previous ideas and expanding on them was very interesting. Yeah, we actually managed to have a decent discussion about this question. And obviously, I would never replace Empress of Mars with anything because I said I the real question is why couldn't we have had both? Yes. Yeah. Why not yeah. both? I don't because I don't want to see any more of Sleep No More. <laughs> Oh, the next one, which is going to be my favourite question. Which two women in the Doctor Who university want to meet each other? I've got a good one for this, and Freya oh, would absolutely die. Oh, you're going you're <laughs> to nick mine, aren't you? I bet you are. Go oh, for possibly. Never and Messy. Oh, that's happened. Has it? Has it? Oh, oh yeah, you I, need I, to... Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the that's one I talk about. It's, it's the Bechdel test. It, like, the episode is literally called the Bechdel test. It's great. And it basically, when they first meet... Um, River, uh, well, Missy doesn't. Oh no, no, it's the other way. Sorry. Oh, my brain. Um, River can't tell who Missy is and raffles off a whole bunch of Time Lords names. So they use the "I bet she's the Rani" thing that Twitter <laughs> absolutely went mental about in 2015, which is great fun. Um, and then Missy basically reveals that she's a Time Lord by, or tries to prove it by asking River to essentially feel her boobs, which is just the best oh, thing. I you can tell me of it. You, you, I, I did hear I have about told that. you about this, Because yeah. I talk about it all the time, because I thought it was the best thing that yeah. happened to me. Well, anyway, they, they, they should meet more often, obviously. They should. Um, 
Okay, uh, yeah, I was discounting ones that have already happened. So yeah, mine was actually River and Romana. I just yeah. want it so badly. I feel like they would end up in a scrap. <laughs> they would either really get on or end yeah. up fighting, like fully punching each other. And <laughs> Lena having to step in to try to threaten yeah. River on behalf of her girlfriend. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... Of, yeah. See, I'm getting like, shippy here, Speaking of people we've been talking about, has Lila met Missy? <gasps> you knife woman. Oh, actually, I, I was going to say about how that would go, but you need to listen to more of Gallifrey before. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> she doesn't meet Missy, but um, something occurs that means that she would not be pleased to see her. <laughs> oh, God, I'm trying to think how that meeting would go. I think knives would be involved. A lot of knives. N- none of the yeah. I'm going to pause with the knife for a bit because you're actually quite hot, but it just would be full knives straight away immediately. Maybe she didn't quite know who Missy was to start with. Possibly. Yeah. She met the Lumia. Oh, Leela and the Lumia, please. <laughs> that, that would be fun. Oh, now I'm just like spitballing. But... I just don't know an answer to this question as I cut off Freya being very gay. Wait, did you have one today? I was asking Ollie whether he had an answer. Oh, sorry. Oh. Um, I, hmm. I think. I'm just going to say this because they're two of my favourite female characters and I think seeing them interacting would be interesting. Would be Amy and Missy. (gasps) Oh, that would be fun. Oh, the Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) I think the world would implode. (laughs) They definitely get in a scrap. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fantastic. I was going to suggest Jenny as in Doctor's daughter Jenny and Susan. Oh. Ooh. Because there is definitely something interesting you could do there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I want that now. So Big finish, please. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a Jenny audio today. Very good. Jenny would be Susan's aunt. No, wait. Well, or like, sort of. no, cousin once removed or something like that. No, cousin once removed, I think, would be no, the aunt. relationship. No, aunt. Right the first time. Yeah. Wait. Oh yeah, yeah, because her and but then not Susan's technically because be, would she's be not really like a daughter, daughter. But like, in yeah. the sense that she's a daughter, she would be an aunt. Yeah, genetically, she'd be more like a grandmother, <laughs> but because <laughs> she took the doctor's genetics. But yeah, family-wise, an aunt. Yes, so that's it's, fun. It's still so weird to me that the existence of Susan implies the doctor actually had children on Gallifrey. The master did as well. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was sort of. Um, we mentioned in the last podcast that it was sort of mentioned that, like, in the first drafts of the Pirate Planet, um, Zanxia was actually the Master's daughter. And Missy ah. mentions it again in. I can't remember whether it's um, Magician's Apprentice or Witches for Minute, but in that two parter, um, Missy talks about her cameo brooch. Um, and says the doctor gave it to me when my daughter and was cut off so we never got to finish the end of that line and I really want to know what it would have been <laughs> ah. one day I'll harass Stephen Moffat into giving me the answer <laughs> I think it's Apprentice because I was actually re-watching them recently oh yeah good choice I like those <laughs> the Missy content is superb mm. <clears throat> anyway we should probably move on to the last question which is um it's from Christian. Thanks, Christian. If you could take Alpha Centauri, my beloved, to dinner, what cuisine would you show them? <laughs> and I, I was actually looking up pasta um, before this because I forgot what it is I usually make, but I do um, a very nice rigatoni with uh, creamy truffle sauce and mushrooms. So I would uh, take them to my house and give them that. Mm, good idea. It's kind of banging if I do say so myself. Yeah. Mm. What about you? Speaking of doing things yourself, soup. Just, just make, just make a nice soup. Good soup. <laughs> mm. I had a, a a really bad pun here, and I I can't I can't decide whether I want to say it or yeah. not. You do. <laughs> it, it's okay. I I I want to show I want to show Alpha Centauri whatever I would like to eat. Oh. <laughs> oh. Excellent. I'm sorry. I mean, that was actually awful, but like in a it good was, way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you, Joseph? Oh, toad in the hole, easily. 
wonderful. <laughs> yes, if you have to introduce somebody to Earth cuisine, you start with Toad in the Hole. I've never had Toad in the Hole. <laughs> Looks like you need to introduce Ollie to Earth cuisine. <laughs> so yeah, when I was a kid, I used to have like deconstructed Toad in the Hole, like just Yorkshire puddings and then like the stuff that were going on the side, just because I, I was a no autistic picky eater. You can't... I still have okay. a little I... autistic picky eater, but you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. So. <laughs> I can relate to that. As well. In fairness, I can relate to that with some things. Toad in the Hole isn't one of them. No, I, I don't anymore because I love Toad in the Hole. But anyway, um, on on that note, Toad in the yeah. Hole. That's a good note to end on, I suppose. <laughs> oh dear. Yes, let's wind it up. What have we got next time? Oh, we we did we have uh, next time we're doing funky animations, including one of my favourites, Scream of the Shalker. Shalka Doctor, my beloved. I love him. So I'm very excited about that one. And we're pairing that with the Infinite Quest. So we should be discussing those two. I'm sure it will be a very animated discussion. Oh. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before anyone can make any more awful puns, I'm sure at least one, one of you will try and shoehorn another in before we leave. Um, we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> Adios. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.